Welcome to How the Fuck Did You Get So Confident? My name is Rebecca, and this is the podcast where I interview my friends and peers to figure out, well, how the fuck they got so confident. In this episode, I Skype with actor, comedian, writer, singer, songwriter, and producer Rachel Bloom. We discuss embracing the lack of control in life, eliminating perfectionistic pressure, the meaning behind the phrase, you're not a psychic, and so much more. This is How the Fuck Did You Get So Confident? with guest Rachel Bloom. Hey, Rachel. Hi. How's it going? Good. You you will hear a baby cry occasionally, and it's because I'm breastfeeding while I'm doing this, uh, which is very confident of me. That's very confident of you, and uh, thanks so much for chatting with me and taking this time. Being a new mom, I know you're just so incredibly busy, so uh, I appreciate you. Yeah, I appreciate you. Oh, come on. Ugh, talk about confidence. Someone is very it. confident she that she it. that she doesn't want the nipple, and then it's like, never mind. I've changed my mind. I do want the nipple. Uh, We're just going to go with it. I was going <laughs> to yeah, say, I, I mean, can just edit that out, but then I was like, I don't want to edit out no. her beautiful cries. I would never. Um, hmm, wait, hold on one second, yeah. Rebecca. Let me just see what. Hmm. Hey, Gregor. Is her face disproportionately what red? Or no, she's just angry. I'm trying to figure out why she's upset. Oh, now she's falling asleep. <laughs> Hold on, sorry, Rebecca. You're fine. No apologies. I mean, she's been on for what, 15 minutes? I think she might. Wait, let's see. Like every time I take it off, now she's feels pretty surface suck. I have to say it's fast, but I'm not feeling her swallow anymore. And then she let it go again. Oh no! And she goes no. Yeah, maybe we need a burp. Oh. Sorry, I have headphones in Rebecca, so no one can hear you. You can, Rebecca can hear everyone. Rebecca can hear everyone. She's a really good friend of ours. She can hear everyone, but we can't hear her. Hi. Yeah, I just, I, this is the most fascinating. I could watch she, this all she's day. Fa- she's fascinated because she's, she's really fascinated by, like, breastfeeding. and. Oh. Let's do a burp. <laughs> Okay. Burpee? Burpee time? Burp. I think it's burpee time, yeah. Man, All right. how do you navigate that? Like, how do you know what to do? Yeah, it's, okay. It's taken, it's taken, like, I mean, we can start talking about, as far as confidence having a baby, I mean, baby, like, it's, you, it takes a lot of confidence because they're mysteries. I mean, the first, the first week, it's horrifying. You have no idea what they want. Right. And you don't know their individual cues well enough. And even now, I don't know. When you get a, and like when you get a dog or a cat or any other animal that's not a human, they're they change. Wiley's changed since she was a puppy, but she's still like a she's a dog. Mm-hmm. You can kind of get okay. She's about to throw up. Here's her throw up sign. She's pretty much ever since she was a puppy had the same like frustrated sound, but. The fact that like that that baby someday is gonna be like hosting a podcast <laughs> is really is really is really nuts. So it's take it it's takes it's taken a bit of time to understand what she wants. But even now, I mean you saw I yeah. need it's it's it is very trial and error and it's not a sure thing. Yeah. It's the hardest having having a baby is by far the hardest thing. Um, I've ever done like emotionally, physically, all of it, all of it. It's just really intense and you have to be so incredibly present. And Mm. I was talking to, uh, Gregor about it, about cause, cause I always assumed that it would be not easier, but that I would have had some sort of preparation for it because I had a job where for four years I was working sometimes like 16 hours a day. Mm. But the thing is with, with that job, one second. Yeah, what's up? 
Oh, yeah, let's try again. Yeah. Oh, she just burped three times. Yes, good girl. What? It's just the onesie and the lighting. Okay, great. All right, come on. Come on. You broke three times. Um. Uh, what was I? You, <laughs> you were saying you thought you'd be used to it because you were doing a show where you're working 16-hour oh. days. So I thought I'd be used to it because I was doing the show and I was working 16-hour days. But the the biggest point is that I had prep for that. I was doing music videos. I was doing comedy. There's no prep for this mm -hmm. because you have someone. People needed me on set, but I could take a second and be like, I'm taking a shit. Give me a second. She needs the need is incessant and it's right now. And like if I was late to set, no one would die. If I don't feed her, she dies. <laughs> I mean, not that that's like an option, to, but it's just it's a very ever present. You have to be right. so um, present and it's so foreign and there's truly no preparation for it other than everyone telling you you can't prepare for it. And it's going to seem weird and it's going to seem like you're doing something wrong and you're not. That, mm. that was the best. That gave me confidence. That's the key word. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say, did anything, can you like point to anything in your life that you've gone through that has like given you any sort of preparation for being a mother or not really? Having a dog. Yeah. Um, for both the caring for something else and worrying about that something else someone else um being getting used to gross stuff mm. the dog throwing up on the rug is the next leap is just the baby throwing up on me but I've been we've been cleaning up barf for 10 years right. um you know cleaning like poop out of the dog's butthole when she has like a little dingleberry hanging on so that's that's definitely prep um and then I think all of the therapy yeah that 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 I've done and that we've done just to um, just to understand, give it all context. And, and really it was a big decision and we really, really gave it a lot of thought and thought about mm -hmm. it and, and talked about it. And the idea that there would be, and are people who are like, you know, let's have a baby, let's just do it. Who, who don't give it a lot of thought, which is, I, I suspect a lot of, most people in the world that's just insane to me because mm -hmm. it's it is it's so much work and you have to really think about it and and want it and so the the personal work the internal work so far has been prepped but she's only two months old so I, I this is akin to taking care of a very needy puppy because puppies can walk. She can't walk. Right. This is going to be every, you know, every month is going to be a new challenge, which is fascinating and it's so scary it's so and all of the things. Well, I'm so glad that you said you would do this podcast because you are one of the most confident human beings I've ever met. Um, oh. I truly, truly, truly believe that. Um, have you, do you consider yourself a confident person? Yes. I consider myself mostly confident and I've, uh, in, I've always considered myself that. So in your in moments in my life when I don't feel confident, it really rattles me. Mm. I'm not, I'm not used to being not confident. I'm not used to being like in control of my circumstances. And so that's some of the work that I've had to do. So you've been confident even as a kid, you were a confident a child growing up? Yes. Very look at me, look at me, only child, very showy. Um, and I think that some of that was my self-worth then became wrapped up in being like this like gregarious smart theater kid mm -hmm. like I was always the kid that read aloud in class and I was always doing theater but with the theater thing when that starts to become who you are and then you face rejection or you meet people who are better at it or more talented then 
you have to do a real internal reckoning. So I think that there was a lot of, because I didn't have to get up like the courage to be on stage or do public speaking, there was some internal work that I needed to do and that I finally did. Is there a notable moment in your childhood where your confidence was shaken by something? Uh, yeah, a lot. Um, I mean, I was made fun of a lot. So really, yeah. So it was the type of thing where I'd be confident and then I'd get smacked down for being confident. Cause like, no, you're a dork. You're terrible. And then I'd eventually build the confidence back up, but it was then, um, kind of a conflict did confidence for for me also around the time I started to get made fun of more I got what I now am pretty sure was like adolescent onset OCD mm-hmm. and so I had these crippling intrusive thoughts which it didn't ruin my confidence per se. It just made me weirder Mm. and it made me more in my head. And so it was the type of thing where I was cutting my own hair. Suddenly I was dressing like a depressed person in school. Plus then I was still this gregarious theater kid. It was all of these, these contradictions that, that don't make sense. And so it did shake my confidence, but I learned early on whenever I, didn't feel confident to just kind of overcompensate Mm. and be even more outgoing. But, but I'm, but I'm sometimes not good. The energy is there, but my mind is in complete fear survival mode. So the perfect example is I was never then when people would like make fun of me or insult me, I'm still this way. I would lash out because I would just overcompensate, but never articulately. So what's like an example of that? I remember these two girls making fun of me in sixth grade. I was going to say, this must be middle school because everybody I've talked to has said middle school was awful. It's terrible for everyone. Even the popular kids is terrible. Yeah. Um, I remember like I was holding like a Sunny D bottle and I just like literally started screaming at them and throwing the bottle at them. So I was confident to fight back. But my lizard brain, I wasn't articulate. I'm not, I, and I've never been. And when I, why, I'm actually, I'm writing a book right now. And this is kind of the whole first chapter is about um, dealing with getting made fun of and, and my own confidence with that. And wow. my first comedy writing job, I was surrounded with people who were not only better than I was like, you know, more experienced. I was the youngest on this writing staff. I was the only girl and they were not only, of course, more experienced, but they were also quite mean when I had a bad pitch, mm. which is an end. So I would still outwardly be like trying to pitch, but my, but my pitches got worse and worse because I couldn't actually, I could on the surface kind of put on a, sh- a face, but not actually be articulate. It made me feel less like myself. Yeah. But I still have that music. It's a musical theater kid thing. I still have that musical theater kid impulse to when the going gets tough to just throw energy at a situation. And as I actually then built myself back up from that like first job experience where I was really shaken, like maybe I, maybe I'm not funny. Maybe I'm not smart. Maybe I'm not good at this. I have slowly been learning how to use that surge of energy and actually put it towards to, to turn down my lizard brain and actually become more articulate in times of distress. And that really helps if you're having a, um, you know, a bad pitch, like a bad pitch to like an executive or whatever, and it's not going well, I just throw energy at the situation until, and it's also a people pleasing thing. Mm -hmm. I think that, some of the confidence that I have comes from a very unconfident and insecure need for everyone to like me at any given moment. 
And I, and those two are, are somewhat inextricably linked in my mind. And again, it's a lot of internal work to, to decide, uh, uh, for those of you at home, Rebecca's actively watching me burp my daughter and it's the sweetest, kiss her little ear. It's the sweetest, greatest thing. I know. So I'm going to try to raise her with the idea that, and I, I watch my, our, our friends, Doug and Nicole have a daughter and I, I watch them and they really, what they do is they praise her for her effort. It's, it's trying, I mean, you can praise them for a job well done, but at the end of the day, you want to be like, you tried so hard, you did your best. Mm-hmm. And I think having that mindset of, if I fundamentally do my best, the result is the journey is, is that is the half of the accomplishment. So I'm going to try to, that was a very good feeding you just had. See, we're already practicing. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. I mean, um, I wish, I wish I had more of that growing up that praise being praised for the effort, not the accomplishment. I feel like I would be a different person if I had that. Um, being an only child, did that, was confidence something that your parents instilled in you or was that not so much a quality that they wanted you to have? Yeah. My parents were trait. I was already very confident and very headstrong as a little kid and they really encouraged that. Mm. And my grandfather was this amateur stand-up comedian and actor uh, completely not his job. He sold technical manuals for his job, but, but his secret, I think his kind of, um, his dream deferred, if you will, was he wanted to just be a full-time actor and stand up and he never could. Yeah. And he would encourage me to sing songs and, um, and they, with him, it was kind of results oriented a little. I have a lot of, uh, I've, I have a lot of, uh, home movies, my grandfather and my mother between them uh, taped what feels like every single moment of my childhood to, to the point where I have 72 DVDs of home movies. Um, it's, 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 it's insane. It's that an insane wild. amount of home movies. It's so fascinating. Um, That's crazy to be able to look back yeah. on that time capsule. It's really weird. And so I feel a, I feel a real kinship with my inner confident child self and I can't tell where the like access to the home movies and just that kind of natural like we begin and end Mm. um but yeah no I was definitely encouraged to be confident but I would say in general our I don't think our society necessarily encourages I remember my parents saying well you know you did your best I remember them saying that but when you're in school, it's a results-oriented process. Totally. Grades are results-oriented, and tests are results-oriented. And, and especially in theater, when you're auditioning for something, or even when you have the big show, when you're doing child, you know, child theater and you only have maybe one performance... It's not about the journey. It's about, did you get your line right in that moment? You got one shot to get this right. Mm-hmm. So it's hard to unlearn that. And and to a certain extent, the feeling of, I have one shot to get this right and I am training for a result. That's not bad. That's how you get successful. But I think there's a, a necessary balance. Yeah. Jumping back to the writer's room talk, when you were doing pitches and they weren't going as well as you had hoped. Is there something that you did to help get back the confidence to pitch again or just to continue down your same career path? Like, is there something you did in the moment that was helpful or that later that day or? Yeah. So when I got home, I wrote and I watched what was interesting is the writing I did at home on my own, got better and better and better mm. because I was on a staff with very talented people and the the work I did in the room got worse and worse and worse because my confidence, I was still pitching, but I was pitching shit ideas, shittier and shittier ideas with 
confidence mm-hmm. because I wanted to put on the face of I'm not rattled by this, but inside I was devastated. Yeah. So I've never necessarily been when my confidence is rattled, I don't go internal. It's just my mind becomes completely separated. I, I have it out of body. I, I get out of, I'm completely not grounded in who I am. My mind is completely separate. That's so scary feeling. From my body. That's scary. Yeah, that's how it feels. And, and I do have confidence issues. I would say it's more self-esteem issues with... If I'm not good at something, oh, that this is the end of the world for Mm. me not to be the best because I got used to being the best by being an only child. And I was in public school, not like an art school. So I was used to being the one who stood out. And whenever that was threatened, I was very scared about it. Yeah. And it really rattled my anxiety. I run anxiety and depression are, are. two sides of, you know, they're this two sides of the same pendulum. I run anxious. So my neuroses just generally are high energy and that com- and that extends to the overcompensatory, um, like lizard brain lashing out. Mm-hmm. Do you ever like in those moments now, maybe since you've been doing therapy, are you able to like slow yourself down and be like, okay, is this the lizard brain side of me? Or is this like, how, how do you deal? Or maybe you don't feel that as much, um, like f- that separation of mind and body, but like, does it help to ground yourself, breathe, ask yourself questions? Cause I've only recently discovered that like, I have, um, OCD and so my, I have, uh, cyclical thinking. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And um, I've only recently through therapy discovered my ability to like ask myself questions. Like before I would just let it spin and spin and spin and spin and spin. And now yeah. I'm better equipped to stop it, ask myself a question. And obviously sometimes they're better than others, but I, it's such a new, it's like a skill that you have to develop. Oh, yeah. Well, it's interesting that asking yourself the question works for you. Because for me with intrusive thoughts, my whole intrusive thoughts became, so they were there in middle school. And then they kind of came back later in life in my early 20s. And I was like, oh, no, this is the thing I had when I was 13. And it's back. And I would start to ask myself questions in a bad way. Like, when will these thoughts go away? Are these thoughts going to ruin my life? And it would become synonymous with the thoughts. So the thing that I worked on and still actively work on, which is basically the fundamental of cognitive behavioral therapy, is to not engage the thought, is to just be like, and and to do the pre-work. Basically, the pre-work is when I'm not in a thought spiral to be like, sometimes these thoughts are going to come. Yes. And... It's just kind of a part of my brain running hot sometimes, and it's neither good nor bad. It's just a thing. And I'm going to let the impulse be there and maybe not engage it. And that is the hardest thing for a control freak. But it's but all of this intrusive thought stuff, it's so incredibly personal, and it's taken me so long and still takes me. I had, I had it uh, around the time I gave birth. There are all these intrusive, and it's usually an intrusive thought about something that has nothing to do with the birth or nothing. It's just, or it's just general. At this point, it's just the fear of intrusive thoughts. Oh yeah. It's, it's this like kind of never ending cycle of like, I'm thinking the thing. Oh no, I'm thinking about thinking the thing. It, 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 it spirals in on itself. Um, and so I think that similarly the mentality of, just don't engage in the thought. It's there. It's neither good nor bad. You're not going to help. You're not going to help anything by trying to solve it. You're mm. not going to solve this. Mm. You just have to kind of let it be, which is very counterintuitive. Yeah. And then I think when I feel not confident or if I feel out of my element in a situation to, to, to just slow down a little bit. Yes. I think that's, that is definitely, that has definitely helped me is to just 
slow down because then you can ground yourself in who you are and you can turn off the panic alarm in your brain. Right. Do you ever give yourself like a time limit or a number of times that you can think about something like, okay, I'm allowed to have this thought three times and then we're moving on and then we're just going to let it go. That's so interesting. No, I never have. I, or do you set other boundaries for your thoughts other than just just like slowing it down? I try not to form. So this is, so this is two things because the lack of confidence is actually different from the intrusive thoughts. So when I feel when I feel nervous about something, I can actually talk myself down. So I have, sometimes I still have lingering anxiety over sleeping. So, uh, God, at this point, seven years ago when we pitched crazy ex-girlfriend, I can't believe. Yeah. It's seven, almost seven years. That's nuts. Six and a half years ago, we pitched crazy ex. I had a night before our first pitch where I couldn't sleep. And it was this really huge event that caused like this bout of sleep anxiety where it was like before an important thing after that, I'd be like, what if I don't sleep tonight? And it would keep me from sleeping. Mm. It was this never ending cycle. And, um, sometimes I'll have glimmers of that before big events. And for whatever reason, it doesn't feel like intrusive thought. It's, it's, it's safe where it's not an intrusive thought yet. It's just kind of more of a confidence thing. And I can say to myself, well, You'll deal with it in the morning. You have a psychiatrist. There are drugs to help you with this. Mm -hmm. And I think talk myself into the the reality when I'm catastrophizing. Mm. When I start to then, when it becomes, I'm thinking the intrusive thought, what if this ruins my life? Then I know there's no talking yourself down. You're going to stop forming sentences about this. That's kind of what I've, come to the hard realization of, of like, you're going to stop. You're not going to engage in this. It's going to be a feeling that you have for the moment. You're not solving anything by continuing. Now, now you're at the point where you're not, we're talking yourself down is actually not helpful. And it's taken me a long time to understand what that is. And it's hard. It always feels like going to the mental gym mm-hmm. to not engage in an anxious thought. When I know it's not going to help me anymore. Yes. And every time it feels like I'm doing just reps. It feels like I'm doing just the worst push-up. I hate push-ups. It feels like I'm doing the world's worst push-up. And it also, the metaphor it always feels like is that I'm balancing on the edge of a pool and that I'm walking on the edge of a pool. And if I were to even dip my toe in, I'm back in the pool. Mm-hmm. I, I fall in the pool and I have to get out and dry myself off and start all over again. That, so that's such like yeah. a big um thing to be able to do to realize when you should do one thing versus the other thing whether you can talk yourself um out of something or whether you need to disengage the thought process do you just attribute knowing when to do one or the other to just therapy just knowing yourself more yeah, it's just knowing myself mm-hmm. it's it's at this point the feeling there's a there's a feeling of when i don't feel confident over something it's usually more surfacey things like what if this what if this music video isn't good? What if this song isn't good and 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 kind of overthinking I'm I'm comparing it to kind of work stuff. Well, I was going to say you have those I didn't realize I mean like of course you do but I never see that in you. I never see that. Oh my like, god. Ounce oh, of totally. I never see it. Totally, totally. There is this song a diagnosis that we did on Crazy X all about my character got diagnosed with BPD and I remember when we filmed it, it was weird because the set, we were out of money hmm. in that point in the season. And so the set was a lot smaller than I had imagined when I wrote the script. Oh. So I had to, the energy of the song is someone running through these hallways, but it was such a small set. I had to somehow figure out a way to walk very slowly, but have the energy of Maria Von Trapp yes, running yes. through the hills. And then when I saw the first edit, I was like, is this... And this is also my fear of getting made fun of. I was like, is this too earnest? Is this going to get me made fun of? And wow. I had to really be in- talked talked down and, and encouraged. No, this is good. Your impulse is good. So I definitely have those moments. And so in those moments, it's 
I think checking in with other people does really help. Um, and even like, uh, I get nervous. I've done a couple, I've done a lot of performing live. I performed at the creative arts Emmys this year. I performed at the primetime Emmys a couple of years ago. I did the Tonys. The Tonys were more of like a kind of lower stakes interview job, but, but, um, when you have to perform live, it's nerve wracking. And, and a lot of not, not intrusive, but just natural confidence thoughts mm -hmm. enter where it's like, what if I forget a line? What if I fuck up a dance move? What if I do this? What if I do that? And that's when I can talk myself down and say, well, okay, if this were to happen, mm -hmm. this is what you do. First of all, there's a teleprompter. So you can always, you know, remember your line. Um, you can always make a joke about you messing up. That's part of in my in my live shows on my stand up. Whenever I fuck up, I'm just very open about the fuck up, and it becomes part of the aesthetic of what I'm doing. Because not only is it does an audience love that, mm -hmm. an audience loves it when you're like, I fucked up. It's it's vulnerable. It's human. To be human is to err. Um, but also it it calms my fears down before a show because the stage fright, if, if I were to have stage fright of what if I forget this, what if I forget that I can go, well, then I just say I forgot it. <laughs> and that really, that really calms me. I think, I think putting, not putting pressure on myself to be perfect at all times mm, has really, has really helped my confidence because then if you don't put that pressure on yourself and you're open about not being perfect, there's really no way to mess up. Right. And that's different from then dealing with like intrusive thoughts right. when it's like, oh, this is now a feeling of dread that is not a normal like confidence thing. Yeah. This is another thing. And I kind of have a different tool set for that. But when we were doing the Crazy X live shows, everyone was kind of nervous because the shows we did were very much the aesthetic that I'd been doing live for a couple of years, but no one else really had because we had a mix of musical theater people who, when you do musical theater, everything has to be perfect or, and, and comedians and improvisers where stuff doesn't have to be perfect. You, you are just kind of loose mm -hmm. the whole time. And so it was a combination of those things. And the thing that I kind of said to everyone to help their confidence was it's impossible for you to fuck this up. Because the fans love you. So if you fuck up a note, you can go, oh, fuck that up. And they'll love it. And they will fuck it. And they'll, and they'll eat it up. Mm -hmm. It doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. Um, just be yourselves and have fun because you can't lose if you do that. Yeah. And I, and I would see people, I would see that relax people. Yeah. So being the creator, EP star, writer of Crazy X versus like doing other people's shows. Yeah. Is there a different, uh, do you feel more confident doing one versus the other? Or how does that play into your psyche? Or are they both Total, equal? No, totally more confident doing my own work. I, I think that it's, um, it's kind of a cheat to, as far as acting, it's kind of an acting cheat to act out your own words because, um, or, or, or even if you didn't write those particular words, a character you've created because there is a mastery of the intention there. But what that taught me was when I now approach other people's work, I, I pretend as if I wrote the words. Ooh, that is. Yeah. That's a trick. That's a nice that's my, trick. That's kind of my new acting MO is, because part of, I, I was, I went, for a while I was not a good auditioner. And I think it's because I was always, even though I told myself I wasn't doing this, I was always subconsciously trying to do an impression of what I thought they wanted. Mm. And that's not a mastery of the material. Mm -hmm. And it's why I would have these auditions. And some of my best auditions were when I didn't know the material and I would be on book a lot. Because I hadn't internalized all of the like choices I would just read it and let my impulses be free-flowing and so that's what I try to do now is I try to approach other people's work and just with the same confidence okay I wrote all these words and every one of these words is not baffling to me yeah I wrote all this there's an, there's a reason for all of it 
And that's helped me. Do you, do you still, ha- you don't have, do you audition? You don't audition for things anymore. Uh, I haven't put, no, I haven't put myself on tape for something and I'm willing to. Yeah. I've, I've said, as, as, well, before this pandemic hit, I said to my reps, I said, I'm willing to put myself on tape. I'm willing to go in and audition for things. And they were like, well, we just have high standards, blah, blah, blah. But, right. um, no, I haven't. I haven't. Uh, the things I auditioned for are voiceover stuff. And in fact, Trolls World Tour, I auditioned for that. Oh, you did? Yeah. How- I got that based on, on an audition. How was that? Was that a scary process or did you just? No, I went in. I kind of had some. The great thing about voiceover auditions is you're not going in. If you're if you're going in in person for a voiceover audition. So it's either you put yourself on tape in a vacuum and then, so that's not really intimidating because you're like, I don't know, I'm just right. throwing this out there. Or you go in and, and talk to them and they work with you. And so it's more, the voiceover auditions I've done are more like work sessions. Mm. And you don't have to worry about how, it's all in what you're putting into the mic. So you're not in front of a camera with the casting director. You don't have to do your hair. You don't have to do your makeup. I mean, you should look presentable, but you're, you're not, the only thing you're worried about is, is your voice. And so you can kind of play with them. And I came in with some choices for Barb and I just, we did a work session. Yeah. And it, so it felt, it didn't feel nerve wracking in the same way. I think that going in front of um, a camera sometimes does, but you know what? It's been a minute since I sat in a room across from a reader and did an audition, and I wonder how it would be now. Yeah, I'm really curious, too, how that would feel for you. Do you feel like, I'm sure the answer to this is yes, but prior to Crazy X, was your confident confidence level at the same as it is now, now that you've done? Because that you wore so many hats for that show that I just, in my head, I imagine you are just a confident writer, performer, EP, uh, show, like just all the things. What were you like prior to that? Well, it depends on what scenario. Yeah. In doing the music videos that I did before Crazy X, pretty much the same because it, I had the, it was, I was mastering the material. I got better as a producer as the videos went on. I'm still not a great line producer. Uh, I wouldn't recommend hiring me as a line producer, but, but I, I had the mastery of, I wrote, this song I know yeah. I know what I want when it comes to uh auditioning um no there and there was a there was a big difference I've been auditioning for a while and then it looked like crazy x was gonna get made into a pilot but like it wasn't for cert for it wasn't certain and it was like March and so I went out for pilot season this is this is 2014 so I decided to go out for pilot season because we were waiting to see if we were going to get ordered to pilot with Showtime. And because I was pretty sure we were going to get ordered to pilot and I'd have to turn any gigs down anyway, I went into these rooms not giving a shit. Mm. And I got asked to test for two different shows because I suddenly wasn't trying to please them. I wasn't trying to do an impression of what they wanted. I just went in and was like, yeah, fuck it. I'll just be myself. And my, because I didn't need it. Yeah. And that's the hardest thing about auditioning is you have to trick them into thinking you don't give a shit. I, know, I was going to say, how do you cultivate a fuck it mentality? If it really matters. I think if you audition enough. Yeah. I think that's why auditioning a lot is really, really helpful. And um, you have to just be like, fuck it. You just have to be like, that's when I find being in the moment and not getting ahead of myself with anxiety thoughts and not, and and, and in good and bad ways, maybe not even picturing the moment that your agent's like, you got it. Just being like, you know what? I'm going to go in. I'm going to do my best. I think the giving up of control in certain moments is very helpful of like, it's giving myself too much credit to be like, this is mine to lose. Well, it's not. There's so much that you have no control over. All you can go is, all you can do is go in, do your thing and then leave and never think about it mm-hmm, again. Mm-hmm. How did, cause 
Crazy X originally was at Showtime and then it went to CW. What was that process like going from Showtime to CW? And was that a confidence? Because did it just go to CW to be more like family friendly or what was that transition process? No. So we made the pilot for Showtime. We were pretty sure we were going to get ordered to series. And then we got our first round of notes on the finished film pilot and like okay yeah and it was like a not great round of notes Mm -hmm. like they didn't they didn't like it and so it was this slow petering out of like I could feel their their confidence and enthusiasm and when they passed I remember when Aline told me they passed I was like yeah I I just knew I could tell this was gonna be a pass the so it was this slow ramping down of my confidence in the pilot but I still knew it was good it was just more of this deflation of the life that I thought I was about to have which Mm -hmm. was I was gonna be like a showtime star um on like a you know artsy fartsy cable network right and the confidence killer was then we knew our pilot was good and we sent it around to every tv network Literally every TV network and, and every streamer at the time. And it was rejected by everyone. And there was one day I remember it got rejected by like eight places. And that was the day that I I was... It wasn't even my confidence as much as mourning, grieving this thing that I thought was good. And then we had just gotten... I would just gotten married. And we, in essence paid for our own wedding and so I was like oh my god I we spent too much I got Mm. all this hubris thinking Mm. I was gonna have a tv series um it didn't in fact it didn't affect my confidence in my work because I thought the pilot was good it was just it was a it was a blow to like the practicalities of my life yeah and so when CW ordered it it was it was just so wonderful, but also really scary. And any any time, I think getting having good things happen, the promise of good things, is scarier than w- when bad things happen because then it feels like it's yours to lose. Mm. And that's when you can, and that's why people self sabotage, right? Because you get scared at this high, the high stakes things. And that's when I've trained myself or or try to have the mindset of like, you know what? YOLO, man. Like I try to just be a kind of stoned surfer, like whatever. (laughs) I'm just going to be in the moment and do my best. And every time I've tried to predict something, every time I've tried to predict it's either going to be option A or B, it's usually option C anyway. Nothing ever quite turns out the way I'm predicting, so... That's how I also kind of, the day of the Golden Globes, I was like, I couldn't even really engage much in the thought of like, what if I won? Because it was so like, overwhelming. Yeah. All I could do was just kind of be in the moment and um, experience in the moment because the anticipation of like, I might win tonight or I might win tomorrow was just like so so much energy how do you cultivate that presence that like being in the moment is that something that you can cultivate or does that just come with wisdom and experience and I think experience but training I don't think it's never it's never too early to train yourself to do that because It's the real, and and therapy really helped. I think that my psychiatrist says, you're not a psychic. When, because part of anxiety is trying to imagine the future and and game plan for the future and and be like, what if I fail at this? What if I fail at this? What if I do this? And it's like, what are you, a psychic? You don't know what's going to happen. Stop trying to, stop trying to think that you know what's going to happen. Yeah. And, and what I have noticed is that when I do try to, think about what's going to happen. Like there was always a lot of anxiety. This is a kind of lower stakes anxiety, but still, still is over like our Emmy song submissions for crazy X. 
because we would have to pick you could we could only submit in any given season two songs uh and they had to be from different writing teams on the show and so it was always picking from 20 to 30 songs picking the two and it was always like trying to game plan what will the academy want or what will people want and it was and it was always a risk because it was like uh, well, they'll want this or they'll want this. And, and almost every time we, uh, it was something we didn't expect. Mm. Like the first season we, we got to submit four songs and I was so sure the sexy getting ready song was going to get nominated. Um, and there was some tension around it because Adam, Adam Schlesinger, <laughs> uh, RIP, um, hadn't that was like he hadn't written on that song but we decided to submit it anyway but it's okay the academy nominated like settle for me it was it's just like all these little things where you worry you worry about these like little in retrospect not dumb things but kind of nitpicky things and then uh it ends up not happening in the third season i was so sure the song let's generalize about men was not only going to get nominated that was a given. It was going to get nominated, but it, we were going to win. I was like, Oh my God, I got to start thinking of dresses to wear for the Emmys. And then the song was not, we were not nominated that year. So award shows are just such a, a good example of like trying to game plan for things because it is the, it is the definition of trying to control something you can't control. And that frankly, you shouldn't give much thought to anyway, because it has nothing to do with the work you're doing. Right. Yeah. I mean, in doing these interviews, a lot of people have talked about like that they they don't know either. In being like, uh, whether it's an audition, whether what whatever the case may be, it's like you can't game plan for it. And if you are doing it because you think this is what this other person wants, like that's that's not going to work either. Just do it the way you want to do it. Ultimately, yes. Yes, there's because it comes across as forced and right. having now sat behind the audition table of two different projects the other project of course uh, being as an ep with uh with your lovely fiance the show mother mary uh check it out guys uh you can't because <laughs> we're still waiting to see if it'll be a show um uh but having sat behind the audition table you can tell when people are trying to do what they think you, you want. want yeah totally Versus just doing their thing yeah. and being themselves or making the choice they wanted to make. And I, I think it's embracing that lack of control in life is very, is very, very freeing because it takes away the pressure of like, this is yours to lose. Life is yours to fuck up. No, it's not. There are a lot of factors that contribute to things in life. All you can do is your best. And then if you, if you don't succeed, Regroup. Mm-hmm. Ooh, you just these are just gems. regroup. Oh, thank you, thank you. Yeah, I think in in high school I came to that conclusion with auditioning where it was, I tried. It was a self soothing thing where okay, if I get the part, I get the part, and if not, then I'll just go back into class and it'll motivate me to work harder. Like I would always try to. It didn't always work, mm-hmm. but give myself a positive. I just also have to like think positively because I uh that's the only way I I um I function Mm. and the the day I was talking about Adam the day so so for those of you who don't know like I had my daughter she's like two months ago in the height of kind of COVID getting real and then one of my songwriting partners Adam got COVID I found out he was on a ventilator the day I gave birth and my daughter was in the NICU she was also on a ventilator and then two days after she got home he died and I didn't and he was getting better and I didn't expect it and and the and this is like the years of therapy talking which the literally the first thing I did I emergency called my psychiatrist and I said, my writing partner just died. I have a baby to care for. What do I do? I'm in panic mode. I don't know what to do. And he was like, okay, 
here's what you do. You give the baby to Gregor. You find a room uh, that's separate from the baby and you emote in that room. And that's what I did. And so I, I went into kind of this very practical self-care mode, which is, that's been like many years of, of teaching myself how to do it. But it's also just, I don't want to, f- I think like I'm overwhelmed with this feeling. What do I do? Totally. And that was still the most, I mean, this it doesn't really have to do with confidence, but, but the man, that period of 10 days, cause I got, I got induced to try to, um, get into the hospital before they were overrun with COVID. And like, it was, that's just, so sorry, just that, that's that terrifying. first 10, that first 10 days was like, cause we watched the maternity ward change because they turned the floor below into, to prepare for into a COVID floor. And thank God right now, the, the hospitals in LA are not inundated because they were looking at New York and they were saying, this is going to be, we're going to be fucked. Um, but like, my doctor started crying. I mean, it was like so, oh my God, it was so fucking intense. I can't believe it seems like way longer ago than less than two months. I know it really does. Cause yeah. I remember when that, that was, hap- I mean, I just, I just can't even begin to imagine how that has affected you and your family. And I mean, this I don't want to say the strength you must have now, but m- maybe so- the I don't know I don't know I don't know what you have after going through what you went through. Well, I think what it's what's interesting is that, and this is also me being musical theater kid wanting to make everything okay, which sometimes isn't the worst thing of not not trying to gloss over grief or gloss over, but being like I how do I function yes. with this? How do I and the way to um, and, and, and Jack, uh, our other writing partner on crazy X, uh, his, his wife is kind of an expert on grief because she, she lost her father unexpectedly when she was like 13. And so she is a counselor at like a grief camp for kids. Oh, so she's wow. like this grief expert. And so the day Adam died, she and Jack came by to like social distance mourn, which is just so unnatural and weird, but she was I never really dealt with this kind of grief before. And she was like, it's, it comes in waves. Grief comes in waves. Just let these waves come and you'll just unexpectedly start crying and kind of give yourself over to it. You know, you're not going, and, and that really helped in being like, I'm going to try to still find the joy in life, but understand that I'm going to be sad and, give into it and that's okay Mm -hmm. and it's okay to be sad and it's human to be sad and but but what what's been interesting is the like resilience of the human spirit gives us a lot of credit but like the baseline you go back to of being yourself Mm -hmm. and I I think that the the level of anguish I was feeling when she was in the NICU and Adam was in the hospital, like it was just this, and then the world was falling apart. It was just this level of turmoil and anguish that I was like, I don't know how I go back to being myself after this. I don't know how I, this has forever changed me. And now two months later, it has, it absolutely has, but I'm, I'm back to watching the TV shows that I like and I'm back to feeling like myself. And so I think also just the experience of going, going through life changing experiences and then feeling yourself go back to a baseline, at least for me Mm. in that moment, that has helped me that there's always, there's a baseline that I go back to. And then also how your baseline changes. Mm-hmm. When I went into therapy and went on Prozac, I'd realized that yes, I always had a baseline, but that baseline was a lot more full of um, emotional upheavals, general ups and downs, sadness, intrusive thoughts coming in a lot more than I'd realized. Mm. And so Prozac and therapy 
um, yes, they help me cope in crises, but also they fundamentally in subtle ways, like changed my baseline. Yeah. It's, it's crazy thinking of like pre, uh, antidepressant life for me. I don't know if you relate to this at all and being like, and then feeling it, feeling what life feels like now. And just like in that moment, not realizing that those ups and downs and those cycling thoughts that it doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to be that way. There is a, like another way to live. Oh, oh my God. Yes. I, yes. I really, really relate to that. And I, I relate to that also knowing people who, who won't get the help that I know they need and having that thought of, no, no, no. It doesn't have to be you, this way. It, 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 this isn't, yes, life does not have to be this. Yeah. Did you ever feel the pressure of like, this is a little tangenty, but I don't really care. Um, the pressure of, well, am I still an artist if I go on medication? Did you ever feel like that? Or is that not something that you, did you ever have any fears or were you apprehensive at all to go on medication or were you always just like, I need it. Okay. Let's great. Let's do this. I turned a real corner. It was never an artistic. I never saw it as an artistic cop out. I saw it. I, I will say like, I think I viewed medication for years as a, well, you're just, you don't want to do the work. Oh, and I'm ashamed of that. I'm ashamed of sometimes thinking that. And I think it's because I was, that's when I was in therapy and it was kind of working. And, mm. and then I also had seen people get overly prescribed mm -hmm. there. There's another thing of just seeing, especially if you're, if you're in art school in New York city, you see people who are, Oh, their, their doctor did not, they've been overly prescribed yeah. or they're, they're, they're not doing the holistic work along with these meds. Um, although looking back, it's like, what the fuck did I know? Um, the thing that turned me on it was, um, it started to interfere with my art or in my head, I think no one else noticed, but in my head it started yeah. to interfere and make me feel the depression made me not feel like myself. And that's when I, I realized, Oh, I, I need to be on an antidepressant and I've always needed to be on something. Yeah. And now I really, and I happen to be with a psychiatrist who's, I found one of the few psychiatrists left because a lot of psychiatrists, basically just get in patient after patient or pa after patient. They don't do talk therapy. They just prescribe right, right. because that's the way you make money. I found a psychiatrist who's, who does talk therapy and prescriptions. Yeah, that's so rare. I have, I have to have and both it, a therapist and a yes. psychiatrist. So I found, I found the rarity and he's very, very conservative with his prescriptions because it's all talk therapy. And I'm granted, I'm sure there are a lot of psychiatrists out there who maybe don't do as much talk therapy who are just as conservative as this guy. But, but so I, I, in working with him, I always felt very confident to, that I wasn't going to get overly prescribed. And I, and I do have to say now in the artistic inspiration sometimes it maybe came from being in a dark place, but for the most part, they feel like two different things mm -hmm. in my, if it, for me, yeah, in, in my head. Um, it's obviously complicated. I can't speak for other people. I, I really can't. I can't because everyone's different. Everybody's it's also, so different. it's like your mental health is like the same thing as spirituality. It's immensely personal. And I, I have no idea what's going on in anyone else's head with either. Mm -hmm, totally. I relate to, well, I, I guess I'm a little different. When I went on antidepressants, it was, I was very scared of, oh, am I not going to be able to be an artist now? Like that oh. was my big thing. I was like, am I going to be able to produce the same art to, you know, do all the same things? Or am I going to be like, derived of all emotion and obviously I'm not derived of all emotion and it was the greatest thing that I could have the greatest decision I could have made for myself um but yeah so everybody's journey is so personal um how and obviously we're gonna wrap up in a minute because I know we've been going a long time but um 
how did putting on multiple hats for Crazy X, did you ever like, did you ever step into a role that you had never done before? And how did you manage that? All the time. And the thing is, there was just no time to be precious. Yeah. Okay. Because there was no time. We had to film the show and the scripts demanded what they demanded. And often I was the person demanding this. There was like writer Rachel, who sometimes was demanding performer Rachel do these things or, yeah. or vice versa. So in a way, there just wasn't time to over to 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 get too nervous about something because we got to we're losing the light. Right. We got a film. There was a there was a an interesting luxury, not a luxury, but. I had no choice. Right. Okay. And we could never take insurance days. I think that post COVID we're going to, in a good way, it's going to change the way we film because we our our show didn't have a ton of money. We weren't like, we weren't like low, 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 low budget, mm -hmm. but, but we didn't have a ton of money and we couldn't take what's called insurance days. Really. We, someone would have to be like deathly ill for us to take insurance days. And so even when I felt like I couldn't go on, I kind of had no choice mm. because I would be putting the show in danger and being a producer, I understood the repercussions of that. Right. And I understood the jobs that would be lost and the people that I'd be fucking over. That's and so, so there much was pressure. Yeah. But there was a responsibility of like, well, I just got to go do this. And That's so level headed. It, and it's, well, it's level headed, but also it's, uh, I would never wish that schedule on anyone else. Yeah. And there were numerous times where either I was sick or someone else was sick and we would still have to do the kissing scenes. Cause what are we going to do? Someone having a cold doesn't, doesn't mean you take an insurance day. You just got to eat a ton of garlic and hope you don't get sick. And now I think that's fundamentally going to change right. for the better. Right. Yeah. I didn't even think, I, I mean, I haven't even spent any time thinking about how sets are going to be post COVID. And I mean, I was talking to a makeup artist friend of mine and she was like, just out of curiosity, are you going to feel comfortable with a makeup artist doing your makeup post COVID? Or like, is that something you would want to do yourself? Like just on set? And I was just like, wow, I don't like, maybe I'll bring my own makeup brushes. Like I just, the, these are just new thoughts uh -huh. that we're having to think uh -huh. about. But it's like, that maybe will make me feel better. I don't know. It's such an, it's such a crazy conversation to have um no there's 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 so much and and I was talking to my agent and he was he's been spending a lot of time at home with his son and like enjoying this life not being as fast-paced and he was saying you know maybe now we think about when we get on a plane right uh maybe maybe you don't get on a plane every week maybe air travel is more of a special thing yeah as it should be totally so it, this pandemic is awful and thousands of people have died and including two people that my and my husband um, knew very well, but hopefully we can use this to, to put less pressure on ourselves and others and, and put our health first in a way that we have not done in America. Right. Because capitalism. Right. Well, thanks so much. I'm going to recap everything I wrote down um, for Rachel's tips for confidence. I'm going to read them Ooh. back to you. Oh, uh, okay. Uh, okay, here we go. Okay. Therapy. Do the internal work. Learn how to articulate. Throw energy at the situation. Praise your kids for their effort. Write. Be creative. Uh not okay i'm trying to read my writing here not engage with oh don't engage with the psych with the cycling thoughts or try to solve it slow down set boundaries for your thoughts get to know yourself and your feelings don't put perfectionist uh pressure on yourself be yourself and have fun fuck it rather than people pleasing giving up control in certain times be a stone surfer quote yolo bro be present you're not a psychic. Oh, Rebecca. Oh, sorry. You totally froze, but keep going. On. Okay, great. I'm going to keep, keep going. going. <laughs> Be present. You're not a psychic. Uh, embracing the lack of control in life. And if you don't succeed, regroup. That's okay. Those are good. Those are good. I'm proud of myself. I love them. I think I'm trying to think of the one that I'm going to. You're not a psychic is huge. 
Yeah, that's really helped me. That's like a really big one. Um, well, thanks so much for your time and chatting with me. This has been such a treat. It's lovely to see you and the baby um, and Gregor in the background of one shot at a certain time. But um, yeah, uh, thank you for your time. I'm so grateful and uh, it's so good to see you and chat with you. So good to see you too. I loved hearing all of your thoughts and I can't wait to. It's interesting when I edit them because I edit them myself. It's interesting because I hear it like with a fresh set of ears, like versus an interviewer ear. I like am actually listening to it and I learn and pick up on so much more great stuff. So anyways, um, thanks. Thanks for your time. Thanks. Thanks for listening to this episode of How the Fuck Did You Get So Confident? I'd love to hear from listeners about things that have helped you build your confidence, whether that's a mantra, a routine, maybe a favorite book or an event that you went through, leave it in the review section. Or if you have a question regarding confidence that you'd love to hear discussed on this podcast, you can leave that in the review section as well and I'll check it out. Thanks again. 